Well, we now come to the word. In Ephesians chapter 4, in verse 17 through 20 here today. And the title of the message is, Don't Walk in a Dark Way Anymore, Now That You Are Born Again. In the second section of Ephesians here, starting in chapter 4, it's now talking about how to walk as a believer. Paul had just said that we would walk in a manner worthy to the same weightiness in which we've been called into Christ. So maybe you can think you've had a job where you were one of a hundred people doing the same job and you were promoted and now you're over that hundred people and there's only three of you. Wouldn't you show up to work thinking it's different? I'm going to the same place, but now I want to prove to them that they made the right choice in selecting me in this promotion. I think it's just human, right? That we would want to do a great job them entrusting you with this thing. This is the same concept. Christ has put his Holy Spirit, his, what kind of spirit, guys? Holy Spirit. Whoa. So now we should walk in a manner worthy of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. We don't want to have the Holy Spirit in us and we walk dirty in our spirit. We want to say, God, you put your Holy Spirit in me that I might be holy. Now I want to walk in that. We know it's a reality when we get to heaven. We will be holy as God is holy. But now upon this earth, we have this opportunity and so we, we learned, we get, began to learn early in chapter 2 of our true spiritual estate. Today, he's going to grow on it. This is the way it was when we were non-believers. In Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, Satan, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, Satan, among whom also we also once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as others. Whoa, did he lay that on thick? You know what I mean? It's not a thin spread of butter on the toast. He globbed it on there. You're dead in your trespasses. You walked according to the course of this world, of the prince of the power of the air. You walked in Satan's will and walked sinfully as Satan is sinful. You were disobedient in this world the way Satan is disobedient. You are by nature children of wrath. When we're born into this world, the Bible says we inherit that little sinful Adam nature. So we come into this world with that sinful nature, not submitted to God. If you've had kids, you know it. They're not even one years old. They start wanting their way, don't they? And if they crawl over to look at a plant, they're not admiring it, they're going to rip it to shreds. You don't have to teach them how to hit another kid in the head with a block. You don't need to teach them the word mine. They will discover that on their own. You, you, you don't need to teach them no. <laughs> They'll tell you no. They can't say anything else, but they can tell you no. We see that little sinful nature. But the idea is naked we came into this world, naked we go out. But when we go out, we're a new creature. It's not the whole thing. We're not just flesh and blood when we come into this world and all it is is flesh and blood when we leave. We are spirit, but our spirit is dead. But then we believe on the Lord and now we go out in our death, a new creature in Christ. But in our sinful condition, it's deep and it's dark. Whether you realize it or not, a lot of people are sinning in the world. They have no idea what we're doing here this morning. They have no concept of being holy. They think of the Pope. 
uh, in Italy, walking around in robes. That's their thought of being holy. So they think of when you're saying be holy, like you, you need to like move into a monastery or something. They, they have no idea what that even means. And they're walking as Satan wants them to walk. And we are seeing it more in these last days than ever before. Truly a twisted, deluded brain. It's not even close to reality. It's not even close to logical. It's completely illogical, but yet it brings them into a greater control of the devil. <clears throat> so when, before we're born again, we are on our way, living according to our flesh and the way Satan wants us to, whether we realize it or not. He's directing our life, and you may be completely unaware that he's puppeting you, but the strings are still there. His claws are still in you. And he's walking you slowly to the day of wrath to be judged in eternal hell. Now Paul's going to further, further describe this, this sinful estate in which we live. And here's the interesting thing. He's telling Christians to not walk in this dark, sinful way. Now, I just want you to stop here and, and, and understand this. He's telling Christians not to walk like a complete unbeliever walks. He doesn't say, as the Calvinists say, if you start walking as you used to walk, oh, maybe you were never saved to begin with. Or like the Arminians say, oh, now that you're walking like the Gentiles used to walk, now you lost your salvation. Paul never questions their salvation. He called them saints. He's called them believers. He's told them they have all the spiritual blessings in heavenly places. He said they've been made a poema, a, cre a creation of God for good works that they should walk in them. It doesn't say they will. Their will has to be surrendered. But how disobedient can a believer be? He says exactly like a non-believer. You see, God doesn't have children he loves and children he can't stand, you bunch of sinful, yucky guys. No, all his kids, he loves them. Even if this one's on a mountaintop and this one's going through the valley of the shadow of death, this one's walking obedience. Here, I'll make you guys obedient for a minute. Walk, you guys walk in obedience and you guys over here walk in disobedience. Either way, he loves us. Just like, we, we, like us, right? Do we ever stop loving our kids? Never. But there are such things as weak Christians and strong Christians. There is such a thing as fruitful Christians and completely unfruitful Christians. You see, the prodigal son, when he went to the foreign land, he was living like the Gentiles lived. He had no qualms going and feeding pigs, an unkosher animal. But when he came home, was there any discussion whether he would be a son again or not? In his mind, he's like, I don't think God, Dad will let me be a son, not after what I've been doing, but I think he'll make me a slave. Not, no, no, he'll make me like the least of the slaves. That, that was in his mind. Was he right or wrong? The prodigal son was completely wrong. The dad put the robe and the ring and the sandals and had a great feast. My son who was lost is now found. My son who was dead is alive. He rejoiced. So we can be prodigals. But it's interesting, and I just want to make this clear, even though you can read through the book of Corinthians, he says you guys are walking carnally. I can't even talk to you about spiritual things. I want to mature you in the Lord, but you're still infants that can only drink milk. He says something similar in Hebrews. In Jude, he says some people are so walking like the world that God's going to save them, but as he raptures them and gives them a new body, they smell like the sin they've been a part of as he snatches them into the rapture. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before him in love. You see, this is such an important point that I want you to get. We have Christians that will have great rewards in heaven. 
And we'll have Christians that will have no rewards in heaven. Because they're walking obediently. We are saved the moment we believe in Jesus. Just like the thief on the cross. He didn't do good or bad works after he was saved. (laughs) He just went to heaven, obviously with no reward. But he's still going to share the same heaven as you and me. So look at verse 17. and, and, And I just want you to note this. I say, therefore, in testifying the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. So he's asserting the fact that that's possible. And probably that some of them are doing that. They're Christians. They believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ. But now they're walking the way they used to walk identically when they were non-believers. They're not walking any different than when they used to be non-believers. And they're going back into a lifestyle that's futile that God saved you out of. Just like the the pig pen, right? Just like the the prodigal in the pig pen. Why do you want to go back to the pig pen? So Christ has redeemed us by faith in him alone. And we as believers want to come and know the joy of living a fruitful life that glorifies God. The word walk here actually means to walk about, to meander around, to live without, uh, you're setting the, the pace of what you're doing in this world to regulate one's life, to con- conduct oneself, to pass the time with. You're walking in such a way that is not purposeful, that's not clear, that's not the way Jesus would have you to walk. Futility of mind, the, the King James says vanity, emptiness, vain, devoid of truth, appropriateness, perverseness, depravity. So non-believers have no idea what God's ways are, what God's plan is. I've, I've shared the Lord with people that just had no, they'd never had been in a Christian church. It would just be like you trying to say what they do in the Mormon church or what, what do they do at the Buddhist church? What they do at the Muslim church? You probably don't know. You might have a few snippets of facts about the different religions, but you, you really don't know what they're truly directing their lives into. We have ideas. We have some information. There's people out there that have no idea about Christianity. And when they find out the gospel message, they, they just they have a hard time processing it because it's so opposite of all religions in the world where you're starting to seek God and please God and I'm so sorry, God, I'm still not obeying you and don't send me to hell. I'm trying, I'm trying, please don't hate me. Please, I'm so afraid. I'm afraid I'm trying so hard, but I'm still struggling. I'm so afraid that if I die, I won't, get, I won't go to heaven. And th- this is all religions out of fear and anxiety and paranoia. They're motivated. Boy, I'm going to church 10 times a week. I'm going to pray a thousand hours a week. I'm going to, you know, because I got to earn, I got to show God that you should take me to heaven even though I'm really deserving to go to hell. And I hate my flesh. And I, ah, there's, it's just a turmoil. They put them in this grinder. There's no good news to it. There's no joy to it. Just God's up there, and every time they start to get close, he takes a step back. Oh, you're still coming short. Now he takes a step back again. You're still coming short. And man's just climbed his way, trying to get into God's favor, and then once he gets God's favor, to keep God's favor. But when you think about it, if a person in his mind thinks he's done that through his works, he's really a Pharisee, a self-righteous person. So even then, that's considered sin. And so it's so important that we get it, that that people don't know God's plan, but we do. We know God's plan. We know where God's leading us. We know the example of Jesus. They have no understanding. He who has much light is going to have to be accountable for the light he has. We have a lot of light. God's Holy Spirit's in us. He's leading us. And so we have to choose to leave that old path, our selfish, fruitful, fruitless life, every single day. 
Because our body's going to scream, be selfish, be selfish. So funny, I was driving back from our vacation, and oh my gosh, it was a parking lot from Barstow all the way uh, until I got on the 405. But, you know, you'd have bumper-to-bumper traffic, but you have some guy gets a little moment, he screams up, there isn't really room, he cuts in front of you. And I'm like, whatever, I I don't care. No one's going to take my piece away. And yeah, it's selfish. Yeah, it shouldn't be that. But I'm going to back off. I don't want to wreck. 30 seconds later, though, somebody does it to him. And now there's road rage. How dare you? Ah! Ah! You know, I'm like, dude. <laughs> and then that guy gets in and, you know, the guy's flashing his lights and getting on his bumper and, you know. And then it happens to the next guy. And he's furious. <laughs> And it's just, I'm, I'm observing this going, that, that's just the way of the world, isn't it? It's so full of hypocrisy. It's so full of, of self that we as believers would get sick of ourself, especially when we see Jesus, who is such a wonderful servant. And he was washing the feet and he loved people so much that we would come to reason to say, I want to live like Jesus because I love him. It's wise. It's fruitful. It's pleasing to man and pleasing to God. It's a blessing. I don't want to live in the futility of our mind like I, I used to do. My friend Bill Osborne that was just here and shared his testimony. His testimony is that he got saved from boredom. He was on the ship. He was an officer All they did every day is went to the bar, got drunk, came home, had a hangover, got drunk the next day, seven days a week. And he literally was just getting grinded down to, I I remember years back, I picked up a young man and and, and he was heading back to the Navy base. And I said, what's going on? I just can't do it again. I'm like, what? Go to the bar, hear the same dumb jokes, watch each other, cut each other down try to get pick up on a girl and fell and come home drunk, fight the hangover until noon. And then as soon as we get off at three, we're back at the bar. It's just, I just can't do it anymore. And I said, you want something more significant in your life? Yes. You, You want your life to have a meaning? Yes. How do I do that? You know, sometimes you get the softball, you know? And I I shared the Lord with him. And he said to me, we're going on Westpac in two weeks. And I've heard about the Philippines and all the prostitutes and all the drinking. And he goes, when I get back from Westpac, I'm going to call you. And I'll receive the Lord. But man, I got to live it up in the flesh for six months. Well, he calculated it. Jesus says before you follow him, calculate it. Once you start plowing, you, gotta, you can't look back. You can't look sideways. You'll get a, a field full of zigzags. You've got to have a, a straight furrow. But it was grievous. We don't, we don't want to go backwards. It's fruitless. It was boring. It was hurtful. It was hurtful to other people around you that you love. We, we, we know that, right? Your sin doesn't affect just you. Your sin affects others in your world. Just like righteousness and walking in a righteous way doesn't just affect you. It blesses everybody around you as well. I was, a pastor told a story about his son and they were on vacation and they went to this park. It was out in the woods And it had this incredible playground. And they were the only ones there. And his four kids were playing on the playground. But his youngest, a little under two years old, discovered fresh cow patties. And all he wanted was just to go and play. And he's like, here's the slide. Let me push you on the swing. Soon as you set him down, right? He was heading right towards the cow patty. 
couldn't convince him otherwise that that, in his mind, the greatest thing here is the cow patty. Well, he went home and his wife looked it up and there were 400 different bacterias in cow patties that are harmful to humans. That's, that's what it's like when we go backwards into the world. We're not going back to the bar. Oh, hey, guys, good to see you, man. Sorry, I had a Christian trip for three years, but I'm sort of getting over it. I'm still going to go to church on Sunday. I'm still a Christian, but, man, I realize now I can, I can you know, party with you guys and, and live for Christ. This is wonderful. No, it's futility. God saved us from that futility. He didn't just save us from sin. He saved us from being insignificant. He saved us from being a blessing to other people or being unfruitful and not a blessing to other people. He saved us that we could truly be the husband, the wife, the parent, the child, the employee, the citizen. (laughs) To be the person of God, he didn't just save us for heaven and giving us eternal life. He, He saved us that we would have this incredible fruitfulness. Do we get that? God has a goal. He has a plan. He, his, his goal after we receive him as, as Lord and Savior, his plan is that we grow in the knowledge of him and we grow in the knowledge of grace. And to no longer be conformed to this world, but now we can be conformed to Christ and walk even as he walked. To have this mind in us as Christ had when he was in human flesh. Philippians 2 tells us, now that we'd be lights in the darkness, not be a part of the darkness, we'd be in the world, but not of it anymore. That we would be lights in the midst of the darkness. We would have the joy of walking like Jesus in a manner worthy to him. We would have the peace of God ruling in our hearts. And out of the pure lifestyle of glorifying God, there is no fear. Perfect love casts out all fear. If your heart condemns you, God's greater than your heart. He's not condemning you. There's no condemnation. He doesn't want you living the way he wants you to live because you're afraid he's going to reject you. He's going to afraid that he's, you're, you know, you're going to get to heaven. They're going to go, yep, here's the book of life. Oh, there's your name. Oh, sorry, it was scratched out. Oh, that's my fear. (sighs) Not going to happen. You're going to heaven. You believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You shall not perish. You'll have everlasting life. That part of it is done. It's finished. Not of works. Not of yourself. It's a gift of God. Did anybody come back and take away your Christmas present last year and say you haven't been walking and, a, and a, any, any husband said to the wife, I want, those, I want that necklace back. You just haven't been a great wife these last six months. I want the present. I want it back. <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's never happened to us, right? Maybe the engagement. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now we're getting somewhere. Amen. <laughs> Woo! Okay. So... God's not taking the gift back. The gifts in the colony have got irrevocable. Now it's about here. It's about right now. This little vapor of time that we have. It's very, very short. A few thousand days. What are we going to do with that? Are we going to be fruitful or unfruitful? Are we going to walk strong and build, be built up in the inner man? Or are we going to walk as weak? It's your choice. And it's a choice you have to make every single day. Yesterday will not help you today. Today, once again, you've got to deny yourself, take up the cross, and follow Jesus. Well, no, if you do it 10 days in a row, it'll, you know, you got this momentum, it'll help you on the 11th day. No, it won't. Have you ever had that? Where you're walking just so strong in the Lord, and then one day, it all blows up on you. And you're doing things, and you're shocked, you're ashamed, you're, you're surprised. It didn't, it didn't take a, a gradual ramp up to start sinning, did it? It can happen in a heartbeat. That's our flesh. If we give in to our flesh, we're going to lose that peace. We're going to lose that fruitfulness. We're going to lose that joy in the Lord. And our heart will condemn us, even though God's not condemning us. In verse 18, 
having their understanding darkened. There it is. Being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. They were darkened. This is an overshadowed of the darkness. Remember when the children of Israel were Egypt and one of the plagues was darkness over the land? This is them. There's a darkness over them and their hearts are hardening. Each of these things, it's interesting. It's not like it's happening to them. It's they are choosing it. Do you understand this? They're in darkness because they're choosing the darkness. The the non-believer, does he know premarital sex is wrong? Of course he does. But he's seeking it out. He knows it's dark having one night stands every weekend. When I played football, guys would come in and they would just be boasting, oh man, yeah, you know, I got this down at the bar. I told, you know, this girl thought I was all into her. Man, I just had, I just had radical sex with her and then I just you know, gave her a phony phone number and off to the next, oh, all the guys were cheering, all right, woo you know? And I'm just there in my spirit just going, oh my gosh, like Lot's righteous soul was vexed every day. They're rejoicing over some 17-year-old girl that lost her virginity to a football player in a one-night stand. They, 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 they know it's wrong. They know that the people on the freeway driving up and cutting in front of you when there's only, you know, 10 feet, they know it's wrong. They don't, it's just not going to be wrong when a police officer gives them a ticket. They know they're being selfish. But they're choosing it anyway, repeatedly. (laughs) And then they know it's wrong for them to be mad at the guy who just did what they did. But they don't care. They want the darkness and they choose the darkness. Even though they know there's a right way, they have no interest in the right way. They love the wrong way because it's self first, because my flesh and its sexual desires are first, because my need for money is first. In 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 10 through 12, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because he did not receive the love of the truth that he might be saved. For this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. This is talking about the last days people, the time we're in right now that Joel talked about a first outpouring of the Spirit, which was the day of Pentecost, but before the rapture, there's going to be another outpouring, the second reign, a power of the Holy Spirit. And even in that powerful time, we're going to be empowered by God's Spirit. And I think it's now, and if we will seek to be filled with the Spirit, I think we'll experience it. But they choose not to believe the love of the truth. Do you need forgiveness? No. Don't you have a sense of God's Holy Spirit convicting you of sin and of righteousness and of judgment? Don't you have a sense that there's not going to be peace in your life until God forgives you? Even though you've had some people forgive you, that you have a deeper need of God forgiving you. And their heart, God's Holy Spirit's working stabbing them in the heart. Everything in them is going, how true that is. But they would have to humble themselves and admit they're sinners. And they'll just rebel and say, no, I don't need anybody to forgive me. You know, screw the whole world. I don't care what anybody thinks. And if there is a God, I hate his guts anyway because he's letting people suffer on earth. And and so since they're letting people suffer, I, I hate him. They harden their hearts. So eventually they come to that point of no return where God now, just like he did with Pharaoh, hardens their heart that they now would believe the lie. They're alienated or the new American standard says excluded from what? The life of God. They're strangers. They've been exchanged. It's interesting. It's like they had, they had known to a degree, even as non-believers, they had a sensitivity, they had a, they had a softness to God. 
You know, uh, well, I'll go to church because mom wants me to go to church. Or, oh, you know, I, I don't worship God or tithe or really pray that much. But man, I, I, I think God's great. Just like, you know, baseball's great. And just like, you know, um, Cracker Jacks is great. You know, I, 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 I just, I believe, I believe as a good American that, you know, God is the God that, that you know, it's great. I'm so glad, the, you know, right on our dollar bill and God... But now, because of they, they want a deeper darkness, they know that they are estranging themselves from God. In Matthew 23, Jesus praying the prayer right before, not too long before he was crucified after this. Oh, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets, stones those who are sent to you. How often I wanted to gather you together as a children, together as the hen gathers the chicks under his wings, but you were not willing. There it is. See, the house is left to you desolate. He's saying you guys could have been saved from the destruction of Jerusalem that's coming referring to the one in 70 AD, but also he's speaking before the rapture, I believe prophetically here. He's saying you were just unwilling. You resisted it. You fought it. (laughs) You know, it just came to the place. They couldn't deny Christ. Remember there, right before Jesus died, Lazarus was raised from the dead. What was the Pharisees' position? Everybody's believing in Jesus because they, so many people knew Lazarus and they saw him get raised from the dead and, or they had firsthand testimony of people they trusted. There's just no way we can sweep Lazarus' resurrection under the, the rug. So what's the answer, guys? Oh, we need to kill Lazarus. We need to kill Lazarus. That's serious hardness of heart, isn't it? Their game plan was not to now believe in Jesus because a noted miracle, that's a fact to everybody in Jerusalem. No, we got to kill Lazarus to stop this. You guys know 1 John 3, verse 17 to 21 well. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son. And this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Everyone practicing evil hates the light, does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. Two very contrasting things. You're born into this world with Adam's sinful nature. At some point in your lifetime, you must be born again. 100% of everybody on planet earth got born here. 100% of everybody in heaven is going to get born into the spirit, into heaven. 100% of everybody is going to be born again in heaven. You must be born again. You must turn from your sin and say, I don't want the darkness. I'd rather have the light. And that is a work of the Holy Spirit in bringing them to that revelation. Paul goes on to say there's two reasons why this is the case, that they have such a darkened, hardened heart. Number one, because of the ignorance that is in them. Now, I'm not saying that non-believers are stupid. There's a lot of geniuses in there. There's a lot of leading world scientists that are atheists. I don't want to say they're not smart in math or smart in chemistry or smart in in other ways. I'm just saying spiritually. And here it is again. They choose to be ignorant. They want to be ignorant. Even when their own heart's condemning them, even when they say, Oh, man, I'm not in harmony with myself nor with this world, and I'm suicidal, and I hate my life. And even though I'm a millionaire, even though I'm famous, even though everybody loves me, I hate myself, and I I can't have so much regret. I have so much guilt over my own sinful condition that they have that when they're quiet, maybe in the early mornings or in the late nights before they go to bed. But then when they come fully awake, They harden their hearts, saying, I just don't want to talk about spiritual things. 
hey, do you know the way to eternal life? That's private, and I don't talk about that. Get away from me. What gives you the right? Jesus. Jesus, the one who created you, gives me the right to talk to you. And I understand that a majority of people that are making themselves ignorant don't want to hear the message, but I will do everything I can to preach the message anyway. In Romans 1, you know of this, in verse 21 to 32, because although they knew God, (laughs) they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. And you guys know the rest of this. They changed the glory of the incorruptible God and the image made of corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. And so God gave them over to uncleanness, men towards men, women towards women. What happened in Sodom and Gomorrah, what happened in Rome. And then you have this society permeated with homosexuality. And the Bible says, before the coming of the Lord, it will be like the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. And we are here. And look down in verse 28 of Romans 1. Even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. (laughs) They didn't like to retain. They didn't want to keep thoughts of God in their head. God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. Now listen to this. This is the last generation that we're going to live in. Being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual morality, wickedness, covetousness, malicious, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whispers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things. We got transgendered and trans this, and they're just inventing more and more. Disobedient to parents. Do I get an amen on that? Undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God in their hearts, because God's Holy Spirit, speaking to every human being of sin, of righteousness, of judgment, even though they know, because God's Spirit speaking to them, that there is going to be a judgment of God. Those who practice such things are deserving of death. Not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice the same. One translation says they actually encourage others to follow them into this darkness. And then he says, not only ignorance, the second thing is because they are blind. And again, this is, they're choosing themselves to be blind. They're hardening their hearts. They're becoming callous towards God, callous towards spiritual things. I used to go down and preach at the rescue mission in San Diego. I did that a few times. And, and they said, the only reason these guys are here to get a warm meal. Say what you got to say and get out, you know. And I, I would preach short. You, you guys don't know about that. <laughs> but, uh, but I would talk to them afterwards. These guys have heard more sermons than all of us combined. Because they hear three sermons a day to get a mill three times a day. Pastors from all over come and speak at this rescue mission in San Diego. They know the Bible inside out. I mean, they're all theologians. But yet, they reject it all in their hearts. They reject it all. They just think it's stupid. They're just doing it to get a mill. In 2 Corinthians 4, 4, we also know that the God of this age has blinded. Notice, those who do not believe. Again, it's those who choose not to believe. It's not that they can't believe. They can believe if they wanted to believe. But they don't want to believe. So Satan's saying, hey, You're in my camp. Let me darken you, blind you, callous you. So every time you hear the gospel, you're inoculated, just like those guys at the rescue mission. They're already, they've heard so many sermons. They heard the gospel so many times. They're calloused to it. And in Matthew 15, 14, let them alone. They are blind leaders of the blind. If the blind leads the blind, both will fall into the ditch. There's a lot of heretics Teachers that are callousing people to the truth. The one I think of right now is the health and wealth gospel. They tell them so many lies. God wants everybody to be millionaires, everybody to get healed every single time. 
And, and they're so deluded into that Pentecostal and the hyper worship. They're so into that, that they, when you try to bring them to the Jesus who has a gentle heart, who's lowly and gentle of heart, and in his presence we'll find rest for our souls, they're completely un- uninterested with the real Jesus of the New Testament. So Paul is now describing a very dark and sad state in affairs regarding the unbeliever, but that is not God's desire. God is not rejoicing in this, going, oh, they don't believe? Then I'll just harden them more. Fine, end of story. No. All through the Bible, Isaiah 1, verse 18 to 20, come now, let us reason together, say the Lord. Though your sins be like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you are willing and obedient, or not unbelieving, actually you translate it as well, not just obedient, but, but not unbelieving, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. God's not just joining with the sword. This is your future. You're going to reap what you've sown. Isaiah 55, verse 1 through 3. Oh, oh God's groaning in his spirit. Oh, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. Don't, don't go to Satan's waters. Don't go to the world's waters. Don't go to your fleshly waters. You who have no money. It's free. It's a gift of God. It's not of works. It's not of yourself. It's a gift of God. You have no money. Come by eat. Yes, come by wine and milk without money, without price. Why do you spend your money for what's not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me. Eat what is good. Let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Here and your soul shall live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you. The sure mercies of David. Did David get a lot of mercy, guys? <laughs> he, he, I love that guy. He was a big sinner like me. You know, misery loves company, I guess. But man, he finally realized, surely goodness and mercies will follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Ezekiel 18, 23, it's, it's a rhetorical question, and the answer is no. Do I have any pleasure in all the wicked should die? No, says the Lord, and not that they should turn from his ways and live. Isn't it obvious? I, I want them to believe and have life and take them to heaven. Ezekiel 33, 11 just says it plainly now. Say to them, as I live, says the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked but that the wicked should turn from his way and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. For why should you die, O house of Israel? And then it says in verse 19, continuing to describe the non-believer and the way a believer could also go backwards living as a non-believer. Remember, they were being past filling, having given themselves over to lewdness, or the old King James says licentiousness to work all uncleanness and greediness. They were past filling. They were desensitized to pain or grief. They understand, if you continue a wrong and you keep doing that wrong, in time, it no longer will seem wrong. Okay? So the guys who get together their sorority at college are with a group of guys at the bar and they get totally drunk and they can't even remember the night before. And they've done that week after week, month after month, maybe year and year out. It no longer seems wrong. And so you have these dads who's now their son is going off to the college to the sorority and he tells his son about how they got drunk all the time and had sex with so many different girls and how they did all these wild and crazy things, pumping his son up because he's, he doesn't see it as wrong. He sees it as wonderful. I hope you get as drunk as I did. I hope you have as many parties as I did. I hope you can, you know, have, have a one night, many one night stands as I get. The, the dad saw, sees it as this glorious entrance into adult world. And you're just like dumbfounded. Isaiah 5, verse 20, 21, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes, are prudent in their own sight. Especially in these last days. 
In 1 Timothy 4, verse 1 and 2, the Spirit expressly says in the latter time, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits, the doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having, notice this, their own conscience seared with a hot iron. In other words, they are so steeped in evil being good and, and good being evil, it's burned into them. They're never going to leave that estate. They're always going to think things that are evil in the sight of God, sinful, immoral, lying, stealing, cheating. They will never in their lifetime see that as wrong. Even though it's so obvious if you have a conscience that's not seared. And they've given themselves over to lewdness or licentiousness, to work all uncleanness, to work all greediness. Self is first. There's self-gratification, fleshly gratification. No matter what it is, I, I want it for my flesh reasons. More money, more power, more immorality. There, there's no end to their desire. We saw that earlier, that, that sin grows in its corruption. The way I like to describe this word licentiousness, or translate here, lewdness, is you give yourself a license to do whatever. Do you have a license to drive that motorcycle? Yeah, I got a motorcycle license. Do you have a license to, to treat women like that? To go out and have one night stands, to get drunk, to put that party drug in their drink, and they don't even know that you're... Yeah, it's, I, I give myself a license. I don't see that as wrong. I just see it as smart. I see it as getting my way. I see it as having sex with a girl I'd never have a chance with if I didn't put dr drug in her drink. I, I think it's fantastic. Merriman Webster's definition of this word says, lacking legal or moral restraints, especially regarding sexual restraints, marked by disregard for strict rules of correctness. In Proverbs 26, 12, do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Proverbs 14, 12, this is a way that seems, there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end of that way is death. We just need to stop and realize that if we go back and start living like the world, we're born again. God's, we're God's child. You may be a prodigal in the pig pen until the day you die, and God will take you to heaven, and he'll put a robe upon you and a ring upon you and receive you. But understand, there is points of no return where you start desensitizing your conscience, where you start searing your conscience. And what happens? I want to have a desire to read the Bible. I just don't get anything out of it anymore. I used to love going to church. Now it's like, oh, it's like pulling a tooth, like going to the dentist. I used to love worshiping God and oh, I could fill it with my spirit. I now I just endure it. I try to get there late. I want the fewer songs we sing, the better. The shorter the sermon, the better. The sooner I can get back to my life and, and get done with church. And then eventually, why even go to church every week? I mean, once a month is good enough. We can say we streamed it, you know. <laughs> just put it on and I'll do whatever I'm gonna do. Oh yeah, well, I heard the sermon. Oh yeah, I heard, you know. And then all of a sudden, going the three times a year is just uh so hard. Easter. I hate Easter because I got to go to church. I hate Christmas. I got to go to church. But yet you're a believer. But yet now you, you don't even not don't love the things that God loves. You don't hate the things that God hates. But now you, you, your conscience is seared. You, you can no longer love the things God loves. You can no longer love the things that God loves or hates or hate the things God hates. But you see, when we walk in the spirit and we're strong in the inner man, we love what God loves to the degree he loves it. That's freedom. Freedom is when you can do the right thing and it's not a burden to you. We were just on vacation with the kids and I was up early cooking the breakfast and trying to do everything I could. And Cheryl, in the same way, trying to clean the kids. Didn't. We wanted our kids to just enjoy the vacation time. I, I, and I, I know, I could sense the pleasure of God in that. Being a servant. And my kids getting that example of seeing a servant. I had joy, I had energy, I had power in it. 
And I could sense that Jesus loved it and I loved it as much as Jesus loved it and I want to serve more. But then you want to now hate the things God hates to the degree he hates it. The fact is, when we're walking as the Gentiles are used to walk, we're like, yeah, a lot of Christians say that's wrong. I, personally, I, I think it's great. I have no problem with it. That's basically Christianity today. Yeah, yeah I know the Bible says homosexuality is a sin, but, you know, you haven't met my hairdresser. You know, you haven't, you, you haven't, you haven't met the guy down at the floral shop. These guys are awesome. Went to their wedding. It was the best wedding I've ever been to. Those, I, I do not know a more loving couple than those two guys down at the flower shop. I have not seen two better parents than these couple of lesbians over here. Those things, guys, I have heard on a recording, but a, a pastor, a Calvary pastor, say to his congregation. He's no longer a Calvary pastor. But he believed that. And you know what his church did when they heard that? The majority of them rejoiced. They're like, oh, I don't have to fight against the, the spirit of this age anymore. I can just rejoice. Now, do I think that they should civilly be protected? Yes. Do I think a homosexual couple should be afraid? No, I do not. Do I think they should be treated the way everybody's treated when they go into a store or a restaurant with love and respect? Absolutely. On a civil sense, should they be able to come into church and teach her Sunday school? Absolutely not. They're living in sin. But how many churches today are afraid to say that? And how many people who have been desensitized by show after show after show? Me and Cheryl were just watching a show on the other day and, and that we really like to watch on, on decorating. And all of a sudden... They brought two homosexuals in, getting married, kissing each other. And we're like, ah, where did that come from? And oh, they were so happy. And oh, this is the most loving. And we're just like, but how many Christians are watching that going, yeah, they do love each other. You know, it sort of creeps me out a little bit. Now I'm used to it. Yeah, a couple of guys kissing. I think it's great. If they love each other, what's the big deal? And now it happened to Lot's family. You think that won't happen to you? You're a Christian, you're going to heaven, but when you're raptured, you're surrounded by all these non-believers. Two in the field, one's taken, one's left, and they're going, how is it that he was taken? He lived just like us. We didn't see any light coming from him. We didn't see any salt coming from him. We had no conviction that, that the Holy Spirit was upon us convicting us of our sin. There was no power in his words. There was no light in his presence. This is, this is where, again, you know, I, I, I've know people that have gotten saved and they come back to the workplace and they tell their friend, I got born again. And, and their friend who's been working next to him for 20 years says, I'm a Christian too. And they think they're going to rejoice with him and the guy's face turns and he's like, What? I've worked next to you for 20 years and you never shared the gospel with me? What kind of friend are you? What kind of person are you? You had the truth that I've been craving. And cra well, you didn't look like you were open. I mentioned a couple of things about God one time and you were sort of upset about it. So I just figured, you know, when I keep peace in the workplace. Well, that's logical. But yet, here it is again. These people, they believe they're right in their eyes, even though they're being fools, absolute fools. They, they, it seems so right to them. How could it be wrong? It's because their conscience is seared. It's because they're choosing to be hardened and dark and ignorant. If they would just for a second say, God, what do you say? I'm going to call up Franklin Graham and ask him, hey, what do you think about? You know, there's no interest in that. And it says, the final verse here today, verse 20, but you have not so learned Christ. Jesus' example is so clear, 
so beautiful, so loving, so gentle, so simple to understand. Matthew 16, 24, he says to the multitude, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. How many times do Christians hear that? How many people think they don't even need to do that anymore? Hey, did you know to live for Christ, you got to deny yourself every day? Take up a cross, the instrument of death to you. Everybody's interest is before your interest. Everybody is more important than you. And that your life is to be lived for Christ. Living, loving, doing what it is his plan for you to walk in. And it's going to take complete self-denial. There's going to be a cost in it. In John 13, in verse 13 to 17, you know that passage. I'm not going to read it, but this is where Jesus washed the apostles' feet. And he says, ends by saying, blessed are you who do what I just did. In Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. Walk in love as Christ has loved us, given himself for us, and offering a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. I got a taco last night, and there was a guy, and, you know, you could tell he was slow a little bit. And I just wanted to get my tacos, but love on this guy. And so I started talking to him, and he's perked up. And he started talking there. And I just know when I left that time together that he was loved. And I just went away just rejoicing in my heart that even though it was just a a few minutes, that I loved him. And he won't forget me (laughs) and meeting that day. But hopefully even more than that, that was a stepping stone to begin to share Jesus with him. The next time he sees me, he'll go, hey, that's that guy. Because I don't wear my mask. He'll be able to recognize me. But uh, that's a whole other story. Colossians 3, verse 12 through 14. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy, beloved. Let me just stop right there. Well, I've holiness, trying to be holy. I, I just don't get that. Forget it then. Forget about being holy. Just do the other things. Be beloved. Oh, that's my beloved neighbor. Oh, that guy I work with, he's just so full of love. And then what else does he say? Be, have tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. If anyone has complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so do you must also do. But above all these things, put, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. I'll tell, you, I'll tell you what motivates me to walk in the Spirit more than anything. It's this. When I am living my selfish, sinful life, giving in my flesh, I try to be equally as kind as when I'm in the Spirit, and I can't be. When I'm in the flesh, I try, I know what it looks like. I can get in my brain. I know, the, you know my facial expressions. I know how to talk. But it doesn't happen. Because it's truly spiritual. That's why Galatians says that the Holy Spirit's in you, then walk in the Spirit. Because if you walk in the Spirit, it truly will be the love of God touching other people. It truly will be the mercies of God coming upon me. They don't need my mercies. They need God's mercies. They need God's tender touch. And when I'm walking in the Spirit, I'm an ambassador of Christ. When I'm walking in the flesh, I'm an ambassador of me. I can love them as one human loves another, and that's a good thing, but they're not being touched by the love of Christ. We are spiritual beings, guys. Walk in the Spirit. 1 John 2, 6, He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Next week, we're going to learn how to win over sin, putting off the old man. A dear old friend needs to go, Right? Put on the new man. I hope he's a good friend of yours. <laughs> I hope you like that guy. I hope you're comfortable around that new guy. And then be re- renewed in the spirit of your mind. Lord, we come today and we know there's no fear.
Your perfect love has loved us throughout eternity. Lord, we know that, that we have no paranoia that you're ever gonna reject us. Just like you're holding on to the nation of Israel, even though they've rejected you almost from the beginning of you choosing them. But yet you're gonna be faithful right to the very end of times, to the very end of the tribulation period. You're gonna be faithful to Israel and all Israel will be saved. And the nation of Israel will go into the millennial period. The nation of Israel will go into heaven and to the new Jerusalem and the new heavens and the new earth once all things have passed away. You're faithful. You never let them go. Even though for thousands of years they've rejected you, you won't let them go because you're faithful to your promise. The gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. And Lord, we now as the elect, the bride of Christ, the called ones, just like Jesus, you are elect. We now, together, the elect of God, that you who began that work is going to complete it. You who predestined us and elected us, you're going to do all the work to form us into your image. And Lord, we just say, let us take a day at a time. Give us the, the mentality a day at a time to choose to glorify you, to choose to love you, to choose to walk in a manner worthy of you. The flesh is cheap and dirty and smelly. It's just a chunk of cow manure. It may feel good. It may be interesting. It may be in our ignorance, something we want to play with, but it's, it's just poop at the end of the day. We know that's the world. It just rips us and tears out and wastes our money and wastes our time and wastes our fruitfulness. We thank you, God for your great salvation and thank you for your word in Jesus' name.